It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, once gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. In his first congressional testimony since the attack on the Capitol, FBI Director Christopher Wray, appointed by former President Trump, put a dagger into the conspiracy theories pushed by some Trump supporters about what happened that day. Has there so far been any evidence that the January 6th riot here, the insurrection, was organized by people simply posing as supporters of President Trump's? We have not seen any evidence of that, uh, certainly at this Is there any evidence at all that it was organized or planned or carried out by groups like Antifa or Black Lives Matter? We have not seen any evidence to that effect thus far in the investigation. And is there any doubt that the people who stormed the Capitol included um, white supremacists and other uh, far-right extremist organizations? Uh, There's no doubt that it included uh, individuals that we would call militia violent extremists uh, and then in some instances individuals that were racially motivated violent extremists. Ray also explained in detail the warnings his agency found online before the insurrection. This was uh, information posted online uh, under a moniker or a, a pseudonym. Uh, it was unvetted, uncorroborated information, but it was, uh, and it was somewhat aspirational in nature, but it was concerning. The information came from the FBI's Norfolk field office, warning of violent war at the Capitol. The Washington Post reported the FBI bulletin quoted individuals saying, be ready to fight, go there ready for war, we get our president or we die. Former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Sun testified last month that the details were only disseminated via email the day before the attack, but Ray disagreed. That information was quickly, as in within an hour, uh, disseminated and communicated with our partners, including the U.S. Capitol Police, including Metro PD, in not one, not two, but three different ways. All right, so that was what happened yesterday on Capitol Hill as uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray, you know, debunked those conspiracy theories uh, that it was anything other than Trump supporters who were, you know, um, let's see, militia members. How did he put that? He was so very careful. No evidence whatsoever that uh, really Antifa or Black Lives Matter was there. He says that in any any number of different ways. Uh, uh, Senator Pat Leahy challenged him, the crypt keeper, Pat Leahy, Leaky Leahy from famous 80s, who could not keep his mouth shut and put the nation in great danger because of his um, repeating uh, secrets from his committee. Of course, it was accidental, I'm sure. But Pat Leahy now, of course, uh, is still there, and he's asking Chris Ray. You know, it really was those white supremacist Trump supporters, right? Well, let's listen and listen to the answer. And when I look at what happened on January 6th, it appears that uh, right-wing white supremacist groups played an instrumental role in the violent assault. Is that your conclusion also? Well, uh, 
Let me answer that this way. I think we're basically saying the same thing. I mean, we don't tend to think, we at the FBI, don't tend to think of violent extremism in terms of right, left. You know, we, that's not a, a, a spectrum that we look at. What I would say is that it is clear, as I think I said to Chairman Durbin, that uh, a, a large and growing number of the people that we have arrested so far in, the, uh, in connection with the 6th are what we would call militia violent extremism, uh, militia violent extremists, and then there have been some uh, already that have emerged who I would have put in the racially motivated violent extremist bucket, again, advocating for the spirit of the white race. And I understand from your testimony previously that uh, you did not see Antifa or left-wing groups playing a significant role in the January 6th insurrection. Certainly, we're, while we're equal opportunity and looking for uh, violent extremism of any, uh, of any ideology, uh, we have not to date seen any evidence of, uh, of anarchist violent extremists or, or people subscribing to Antifa uh, in connection with the 6th. That doesn't mean we're not looking and we'll continue to look, but at the moment we have not seen that. You know, I was just thinking that maybe Chris Ray should call me or my husband, the former FBI director, because we actually did see it, and we played it at this microphone. I know there are going to be others responding to this, and I thought to myself, how can I look? It can be a he said, she said. I mean, Ron Johnson said something quite the opposite. I myself saw email from our, these email flyers, or I don't know if it was uh, Twitter or what it was, but I saw the text uh, to encourage Antifa to go and uh, dress as Trump supporters, put the hats on backwards. I read that for my Self, I don't know how Chris Ray missed that, but I actually did see that. Uh, so, and I know that Ron Johnson is testifying differently, and he was reporting uh, that buses were offloading uh, people in like riot gear, dressed in black, a few blocks from the White House, the Capitol. So, how how are we to know? And how can I jump in and say that Chris Ray is just wrong? I know they were antifa. Well, I I think I can make the case from what bit we do know here. I think I can make the case for this. Um, I just remembered that there was a guy named John Sullivan who's been arrested at the Capitol because he was there. And uh, John uh, has a very interesting past. In fact, his brother James uh, went on record a few months ago talking about his brother John, uh, the activist, the self-described Antifa Black Lives Matter supporter. James, this is what he said about his brother John. Clip six. James Sullivan says he turned in tips about his brother to the FBI here in Salt Lake City. He says he believes that his brother was not only involved in the riot at the Capitol, but somehow in charge. Full disclosure, the FBI has been in contact with me. John Sullivan posted to his Twitter on Wednesday. Now I got the call, as I said again today, that... Um, he was uh, going to be apprehended by the FBI. John's brother, James, says he first learned his brother was at the U.S. Capitol when friends started texting him these pictures. Then John posted video to YouTube. Like, I'm just trying to report. He was going in there to document it, but he also was part of the Antifa groups. I also, you know, want to want to support the black community out here too in the best way that I can. That's my belief. I believe the Black Lives Matter. I mean, I'm not here to assert myself and my beliefs on other people. I just want to give people 
the footage, the, the video. The FBI's office in Salt Lake City would not confirm they were investigating Sullivan or any Utahns. I want to condemn, uh, absolutely condemn the shameful and uh, violence that we saw on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. We still love John, like, and that's something that he needs to know. Now, the criminal complaint against John includes violent entry. John was also charged by Provo police officers back in July of 2020 for criminal mischief and rioting. All right, so you heard the voice of James Sullivan, his brother, describing his involvement with Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Then you heard the voice of John saying, well, this is what I believe. Uh, And so those are two distinct voices. But if that wasn't enough, maybe... Maybe that wasn't enough for Chris Ray. Maybe he hasn't heard that news report. Or maybe he didn't call the, uh, the FBI in Salt Lake City uh, to find out anything about John Sullivan, so he just doesn't know. And by the way, John is inconveniently black. It's, it, it, maybe he is a white supremacist, but he is black. So, you know, and, and in this day and age, it's possible, you know. He could be a white supremacist and, and be black. Uh, but he is definitely... Um, He's definitely not a member of uh, the white uh, supremacist militia. And I will give you just another taste. This is John Sullivan in his own words uh, talking about how he actually feels about stuff. This is uh, clip four. A whole bunch of white militia came out there, formed against our group. We out there strapped. We out there ready to burn that down. We out there to defend our stuff. We got to defend ourselves now, too. We do. Because power to the people. Power to the people. We got, we got rip Trump out of that office right over there. Pull him out that. Nah, nah, we ain't about waiting until the next election. We about to go get. I ain't about that. Cause you know what time it is. I want y'all to be after me. It's time for revolution. It's time for revolution. It's time for revolution. Thank you guys. I appreciate y'all. Be safe. Be blessed. Okay, so that was John Sullivan in his own words, and we know that John Sullivan in his own words has identified himself with Antifa and Black Lives Matter, and he wants revolution, and he happens to be black. Uh, but as Senator Durbin asked Chris Ray yesterday in the hearing a, a different question, same but different, and I want you to hear Chris Ray's response again in light of what you just heard. Here we go, clip three. I want to address what I consider the next big lie after the lie that the president really won on November 3rd, President Trump. The next big lie appears to be the argument that somehow or another those were not Trump supporters who invaded the Capitol. It was it made the rounds on the Internet uh, right before they came into the building and has been gaining momentum ever since. I'd like to ask you, Director E., do you agree that the Capitol attack involved white supremacists and other violent extremists? Uh, certainly, the Capitol uh, attack involved violent extremists. Uh, as I said, we, the FBI, consider this a form of domestic terrorism. Uh, it included a variety of backgrounds. Uh, certainly, there were quite a number. We're seeing quite a number as we're building out the cases on the individuals we've arrested for the violence quite a number who we would call sort of militia violent extremists. So we've got a number who self-identify with, you know, the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers, things like that. Uh, We also have a couple of instances uh, where we've already identified individuals involved in the criminal behavior who 
we would put in the racially motivated, violent extremists who advocate for what you would call sort of white supremacy. So there have been some of those individuals as well. Mark One of the Powell. things that's happening as part of this is that as we build out the cases on the individuals, when we arrest them for the violence, we're getting a richer and richer understanding of different people's motivations. But certainly, as I said, militia violent extremism, some instances of uh, racially motivated uh, violent extremism, uh, specifically advocating for the superior of the white race. Based on your investigation so far, do you have any evidence that the Capitol attack was organized by, quote, fake Trump protesters? We have not seen evidence of that at this stage, certainly. Yes, well, uh, Director Ray, okay, so uh, you don't know about John Sullivan. Oh, look, there are others in there. I heard other stories I could mention. Uh, but John is the one that we've heard from. And Chris Ray is saying none. No evidence of that. They arrested uh, uh, John Sullivan. He has a record. They know about this, and yet he's telling us no evidence. We don't have any evidence. It's all, you know, it's a militia. Uh, it's a Proud Boys and Oath Keepers. Uh, not so much John Sullivan. By the way, we have one more clip I want to play that we played some, uh, you know, after January 6th. This was John Sullivan along with a reporter uh, who does photography work, as I recall, for NPR. And uh, they were, they, we have audio from John's video camera. There's tons of this. Uh, uh, James O'Keefe uh, reported on this, but this is just a little clip of it. This is the uh, photographer getting into the Capitol with John. They're laughing about it. Uh, let's listen. Clip five. I'll give you your hug now. We did it. <laughs> you were right. We did it. Dude, I was trying to tell you. I, I couldn't say much. You were right. <laughs> You just have to watch my channel. Oh my god. Is this not gonna be the best film you've ever made in your life? No. That's it. Yeah. Yeah? Wait, you aren't recording, are you? I'll delete that. But I didn't record you or me. It was just voices. You're recording, right? Oh, I'll delete that. Okay, we did it. We did it. We made it in here. Isn't this not gonna be the best video you ever took? And then you hear later, as I recall, from James O'Keefe's uh I believe it was James who repeated this and played it. Uh, that we heard John yelling, you know, something like "burn it down, destroy it." And then John is right there when, uh, uh, when the girl was shot and killed by the Capitol officer. He was front and center, but he wasn't there. Nobody affiliated with Antifa. It was all Trump supporters. No one that was anti-Trump. It was uh, Proud Boys. Maybe John's affiliation also is Proud Boys. Uh, you, you never know. Better get that memo to FBI Director. Chris Ray, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Maybe you've heard about MediShare and you know what it is. It's the affordable alternative to health insurance. But you've wondered, can I really save a significant amount of money on my monthly health care bills? And the answer is an emphatic, yes, you can. You could save a lot of money, whether it's just for you or for an entire family. MediShare has an option for you. In fact, the typical family saves $500 a month switching to MediShare. And it really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. You get free telehealth services. You get a huge network of doctors. You get great customer support. And you get the sense of security that comes from being a part of 400,000 people who share not just each other's medical bills, but purpose, too. MediShare is a community of Christians who pull together and pray for each other, which is very refreshing right now. If you want more info, it's so simple. You can get a price within two minutes. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray. 
a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Miguel Cardona, United States Secretary of Education. He serves as the principal advisor to the president and federal government on policies, programs, and activities related to education in our country. Proverbs 1-7 reminds us of the importance of education. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Secretary Cardona in his work at the Department of Education. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. We invite you to visit Liberty University. Whether you want to explore for a few hours or for a few days, you'll find a visiting opportunity to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to our Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. Or check out campus landmarks from the comfort of your home through our virtual experience. Plan your perfect visit by texting VISIT to 49596. Again, that's VISIT to 49596. Loretta Lynn, the coal miner's daughter, says country music is dead. The country music legend mourned the passing of the musical genre during a podcast interview with Martina McBride. It's true that country music has been overrun by woke leftists. I wrote a chapter about the demise of country music in my new book, Culture Jihad, How to Stop the Left from Killing a Nation. Country music, at its heart, is a uniquely American musical tradition rooted in heartbreak and hope, faith, and family. But in recent years, cultural progressives have invaded Music City. I write in my book about how the head of the Country Music Association Foundation hated Governor Mike Huckabee. The executive, who's a gay married man, said country music has no place for people like Huckabee, a kind-hearted, church-going lover of music. You know, it's sad to say, but Loretta Lynn is right. Country music is deader than a possum trying to cross a Mississippi highway. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Alive. He is for five. D is for coming out. D is for drag. E is for equality. F is for family. Uh oh, we missed a pose. G is for gay. H is for hope. I is for intersex. J is for joy. Okay. I just, that's enough. Uh, that's a, a toddler. That's a, a mom or someone related to him uh, having him read a book out loud, which is the alphabet uh, for, you know, the LGBTQ movement, a cute little book for kids. If you couldn't understand his little voice because you didn't know what that was out. C is for coming out, he said. D is for drag. E is for equality. Uh, G is for gay. I is for, the toddler says, intersex. This is the kind of 
perversion of not only the language, uh, but of uh, raping our children of their innocence that we are we are seeing happen in our culture. Uh, Sam Sorbo has just written a book called Words for Warriors uh, about the importance of words and how the left has been twisting them for a long time. I would say, uh, just to make this point before I introduce Sam officially, uh, the first time I really became aware of this was the whole term gay. You know, gay was at one time, you'll see it in old movies, it meant happy, really happy, uh, delighted, gay. Uh, And it was a term co-opted by the gay movement, uh, which really meant quite the opposite because at the time, men who were having sex with other men were not gay. It was a very tragic community uh, with a lot of deaths, uh, but it was co-opted, and it became what it is. That's the time, that's the thing that we call gay men. We also found that with pro-choice rather than pro-abortion and anti-choice, we were anti-choice, says that we're pro-life, powerful words, and those were kind of the introductions, but of course it's become a lot more complex. Well, Sam has written this about this in her new book. Sam, you probably you know who Sam is. She is a filmmaker, a radio host, an actress, an international activist. Uh, she hosts her own weekly national syndicated radio program and podcast, The Sam Sorbo Show. You've seen her in Hercules and Chicago Hope uh, and lots of other things. She's produced movies. She's a homeschooling advocate. That's what the last time she joined me, I think was when she wrote a book about homeschooling called schooling called They're Your Kids, Teach from Love and True Faith. And so she joins us. This, oh, by the way, she's also married to Hercules, who is known as uh, Kevin Serbo. <laughs> Sam, thanks for joining me this morning. <laughs> I always thought I was for incest. Uh, yeah, oh, well, see, they got that wrong. Uh, we should do an edit. Oh, my goodness, Sam. Um your book is called Words for Warriors, so you have to tell me now. Okay, I have a question. My first question for you is, what triggered you uh, to write this book? Yeah, well, you know, they're, they're taking our words and co-opting them, they're hijacking them, if you will, changing their meanings and then using them against us. And it's our husband, right? Because it's not the truth. It's, it's all lies. And but here we are, um, saying that, that man means woman. Up means down, right means wrong, good means evil, or evil means good. And um, uh, really the word that sort of touched it off to me was fascist. Uh, but took the word fascist and somehow converted it into right wing. There's nothing right wing about fascism. I heard it again today. Those right wing fascists, they don't exist. It's a completely made up thing. Fascism is decidedly fascism. They have the same artwork as the communists. They have the same colorings, red and black. Sam, Sam, I, I, Sam, I'm going to interrupt you because we are having trouble hearing you. And I want people to hear what you're saying. I don't know if you have any option or if you can move closer to the phone or what you can do, but I want to hear what you're saying more clearly if we can. Well, I will try to move to a better area. I am in an area that has difficult cell service. Is this any better? Maybe a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, can you back up a sentence? Because I asked you what triggered yeah, so you, and you, 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 you were explaining that. So fascism is a decidedly left-wing ideology. There's, there's, there's no question about that. They have the same artwork. They have the same, they have the same tactics. They use violence um, and, uh, and uh, ridicule and all of those things. And so here we are today thinking that somehow there's some right-wing fascists who are violent. Basically, that does not exist. Basically, the violence emanates from the radical left. 
and the radical left has taken over the Democrat Party. And so here we are, here we are as conservatives, thinking that we're dealing on sort of a level playing field with the Democrats, when in fact we're dealing with communists and fascists and socialists. And oh, by the way, there's no such thing as democratic socialism. That's just socialism that was stupidly voted in by the populace, just like in Venezuela. They would call that democratic socialism. It's the same thing. You can package it, you know, with with a prettier bow on top, but it's still socialism that is destructive to humanity. And so it started with the word fascism, and then it grew, and then I started putting words in that were like just the, just funny words, like Ted Nugent's word, um, theorgasm, follows fascism in the book because <laughs> because it's funny. Uh, Covidius is in the book. That's a Chris Plant word that that he uses on the radio. <laughs> um, so, so that's that. It just it just grew from there. So the book is really a lexicon of the words of our language that have been co-opted or that are about to be co-opted, or or even words that we ought to know better what they mean, like the electoral college. What does that mean? And we're not being taught this in school. And as you know, I mean, my big focus is education. We are no longer engaged in the in the process of education. We are engaged in schooling. And so when parents say to me, oh, I could never uh, homeschool my kids because I don't know how, I say to them, that's because you were schooled. You lack an education. You lack an education if you are not able to teach somebody else because the mark of a good education is, in fact, the ability to teach it. You know, you just pointed out sort of a two-pronged, problem that I see. You, you just, and I'd never thought of this, Sam, uh, we are, the left has been twisting words for, this is a, this is a method of theirs. And you could try, I know you have probably yes. traced it back to Nazi Germany and other places. Uh, but the difference now is what you just said, because of lack of education and critical thinking, and even the knowledge of words in general, it's the double whammy. It's the absolute double whammy. It's that they have more power than they ever had before with words. Right. And, by the way, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And so we ought to guard our Word. What do we say to kids when they're about to, like, lash out and hit another child? We say, no, 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 use your Word. Because our Word, our conversation, our argumentation, our diplomacy is what stands between us and violence. But the left loves violence. Fascists love violence, and the communists love violence because they are both of, a, of the same ilk. And so they will encourage us to not use words. And this is, that's, part of, that's part and parcel of this whole sort of campaign, to devalue language so that it becomes meaningless. What is a woman? It can be anything. It could be literally my treehouse could be a woman these days is what the left is doing to our language. And so we, we need to fight back, which is why I wrote the book. Yes. I want people to engage as warriors for the truth. Yeah, let me also say, you know, just so people can even relate, to take it further, other words that have been co-opted and people will understand this are the words family. Well, family used to mean husband, wife, children. It always did for generations. It meant that, and now it means what? I just read yesterday, I'm sure you saw this, this thruple, these three men who are married, and they have a couple of children now, and 
Uh, you know, they're, they're a family too, you know? Uh, you know, well, well, marriage. They've changed the yes. definition of the word marriage. Yes. And, and the problem is that, you know, we get, we get lulled into a sense of complacency. We think that peace and harmony are the natural effects of humanity. They are not. They are constructed. This nation was founded by home-educated people, by the way, by individuals who understood that, that God had a place in society, and that his place in society created a society that was much better than previous societies. And how can I say that? How can I possibly say that? That sounds so exclusionary. But the, point, but the fact is that this society has created the greatest leap in prosperity for the entire world that history has ever seen. And it's because this society was, was, was um, founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We are now in the process of just just throwing that all away because of our complacency. And Sam, because, we'll s- frankly, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just going to say, look, I wanted to know your thoughts about, uh, like, because I'm sitting here reflecting on this. Why in the world do words matter so much? Now, we have conflicting messages when we were growing up, you know, uh, six and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt you. Why are words, why was God, why did the scripture say in the beginning was the word and the word was God and God spoke the word and things came to be? Why words? Why are words so powerful? Is that the reason why words are so powerful? Because God chose that and exampled that? I don't, what are, you, what are your thoughts about that? Words represent spirit. And the spirit is very powerful. And for that, and so, you know, God spoke, and it came into being. Now, I'm not saying that our words are as powerful as God's words, but it's, it's, the, it's the, um, the model for us to understand that our words have tremendous power. And, you know, uh, uh, if, if you say the wrong thing, that does damage. It might not be sticks and stones, but it does damage. Um, it damages relationships. And relation, and, and that's an important part of life. So we, we ought to understand that words have power. Now, why does the left seek to devalue our words? Because they know that words have power. Everything they do is based on a lie. Everything they do is to further a lie and hide the truth. So when they say that our words are more violent than, uh, than, you know, weapons, of course that's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie. You can't say that, you know, my, my words are worse than killing somebody. But, in fact, words do have power, and we, we ought to respect that. Yes. Well, that's right. And the left figured that out a long time ago. I think there's, there's this, uh, an old book, kind of a classic called Words That Work, uh, that I've had recommended to me many, many times by people who are sure. really experts on the left. And the words do work. And, I, you know, I'm thinking uh, this is a word that I have, or a phrase, uh, that I have been zeroing in on, Sam, because I'm hearing it used, and I know where this is going to end. And that is the whole idea of Christian nationalists. Uh, that's a new word that's come out of the January 6th. And uh, then you tack onto that, uh, you know, racist extremists. And it's a, it's a beginning right. of a labeling in a very dangerous right. way. And that's how words are so dangerous. That's right. So racist no longer means somebody who discriminates based on color. That's, that was the original definition, um, and, and uh, that no longer exists. 
now racist is simply used as a pejorative against uh, basically white people. And you can't escape it because you were born racist if you're born with that skin, skin color. Never mind that now that in itself is racism. No, no, we've changed the meaning of the word racism. And so it's okay to be racist by, by, by version of the old definition of racism because you were practicing the new definition. I mean, it, 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 it makes your mind spin. Yep. But um, they use the words because the words have more meaning to us, they use them indiscriminately against us. Yes, and that's so true. we have to make a decision. Either the words have meaning, in which case we must adhere to their meaning, or the words have no meaning, in which case tell me what you will. I don't care because it's meaningless. Quickly, I'll say that, you know, we have learned. One of the reasons talk radio works for conservatives is that we think we, we're word people. We are thought people, yes. and we develop our thoughts in words. The left is more visual. And so you're right. This is a more powerful tool tool to use against us because we're into words and ideas. Uh, uh, before we have to go, Sam, tell us about your book itself. What, what will people get when they buy Words for Warriors, which is a fight back against crazy socialists and the toxic liberal left? What are they buying when they get this book? Well, it's really it's, it's, uh, it's an entertaining tool. So it's it's a lot of fun. People, I'm getting great reviews on Amazon. By the way, it hit number one on Amazon, which is so oh, don't great. tell them because they'll take it down. Uh, yes, um, right. <laughs> that's right. Um, but people, you know, people are enjoying it because it's kind of a reference tool, um, as well as just sort of an enjoyable read. And uh, there's 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 a lot of fun in it too. I I take a pretty sarcastic tone throughout the book because I'm so fed up with the left. Um, perverting our language. They pervert everything they touch. Pervert it, right? Um, They say the most outlandish things and nothing happens. You got Andrew Cuomo today. Somehow they're they're getting him on on, um, sexual harassment charges when he actually murdered uh, uh, 10,000 people by conscribing them to nursing homes when Mm -hmm. it was clear that that was the worst thing that he could possibly have done. And, and now, suddenly, the, they're reporting on sexual harassment charges. Not, not to belittle that, certainly. Yeah. Right. But I find it very confusing. Um, and, and, of yeah. course, that is the aim, is to confuse us. This book is meant to shed some light and maybe make some warriors out of it. Okay, people. Sam Sorbo. Sam, great. Listen, great stuff. And she's gotten some great endorsements here in Texas, Sean Spicer and others. Words for warriors fight back against crazy socialists and the toxic liberal left. Sam is a great writer, a great thinker. And by the way, her radio show, I'm sure, is great. I can't listen because she's on the West Coast, but she got up early for us this morning. Sam, thanks. Sandy Reels in the morning. God didn't leave us alone. He gave us the Bible to help us have a better life. Did you know every crisis offers something positive? Paul, a Bible author, said his problems were so great he thought he'd die. However, his problem made him depend on God more, and that was good. Trouble makes us pray. Difficulties make us realize our limitations and make us aware of our need for God. That's a good thing in a bad situation. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. American Family Association President Tim Wildman writes, In a tactic similar to what you might read about in early 1930s Germany, two United States representatives are applying pressure to cable carriers to censor conservative networks like Fox News and Newsmax by removing them from their lineup. 
Read Tim's entire blog at afa.net slash the stand. Help protect freedom of speech in America. That's afa.net slash the stand. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The Biden administration's massive amnesty bill is here. It's called the U.S. Citizenship Act of 2021. It provides amnesty for all illegal aliens and those deported by the Trump administration. Employers can keep illegal aliens on the payroll as long as they say the employee intends to apply for amnesty. The bill also ends penalties for visa overstays. So if you came here on a tourist visa in December or earlier and overstayed, congratulations, you too would be on a path to citizenship under this bill. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Brian Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. Democrats are trying to push through H.R. 1, a bill presented as an election reform bill. It's more accurate to call it an election deform bill since it would mangle the election process beyond recognition. We believe that every eligible American should be able to vote. But we also believe that only those who are eligible should be able to vote. If mail-in ballots are used at all, they should be only counted if the identity of the voter can be verified. But H.R. 1 scraps all signature matching requirements, so we will have no way of knowing if the person submitting the ballot is who he says he is or is even registered to vote. The potential for fraud here is enormous. We've just been through an election with widespread voter fraud. The last thing we need is to go through that again. It's time to say a flat no to H.R. 1. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. It's becoming clear that the Biden-Harris administration and its congressional allies are engaged in what can only be called a wrecking operation. The cumulative impact of a raft of presidential executive orders, policy changes, and legislative initiatives is a debilitating assault on the Constitution, our freedoms, and the national security. At risk are, among other things, future free and fair elections, our borders, right to bear arms, freedom of speech, and religious liberty. Especially alarming is the relentless inflaming of racial tensions with the reinstitution of virulent critical race theory, curricula, systemic vilification of white Americans, and now reparations for black ones. Liberal author Naomi Wolf warns that totalitarianism is animating the Biden administration and its friends. So patriots of every political stripe must come together to oppose such a fundamental and terrifying transformation of our country. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Sandy Rios back with you. I want to mention something we talked about yesterday. We uh, we were pretty amazed and uh, I guess grateful, but also <laughs> trepida- feeling trepidation. I think our numbers for the podcast alone have doubled uh, uh, over the past month, and so I-, I know lots of people are listening. And my question to you yesterday. Thank you for that, by the way. I, I, f- I consider that a great honor and a great responsibility. Uh, so my question is, uh, for those of you who have listened for a long time, especially, uh, I would really love your feedback about what it is you, uh, what it is you really like, why are you tuning in, because we don't want to do away with that, 
And what would you like more of or less of? Happy to take criticism. You know, you can be, you don't have to be, you can be brutal. What, what don't you like? We can't accommodate everyone's opinions. Uh, but I, I, try, I would really like to hear what you're thinking. And as we go forward, uh, how we can improve the show in any way possible. And I'm asking you to send those comments to Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy at AFR.net. Okay, and so we'll probably tackle that tomorrow. Tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow's Thursday uh, during during our open line. All right, uh, big, one of the big news stories yesterday was uh, from Governor Abbott in Texas. I'll let you listen. In his own words, here he is. I'm issuing a new executive order that rescinds most of the earlier executive orders. Effective next Wednesday, all businesses of any type are allowed to open 100%. That includes any type of entity in Texas. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Uh, so he goes on to talk about that. I mean, thank, listen, those of you in Texas must be very, very happy about this. Uh, just, you know, I'm not sure why Governor Abbott uh, chose to shut the state down in the way that he did. Uh, and I, I, I have a feeling I know why he came out with this announcement. And I'm going I'm to give you, look, I, I'm glad he did. I, I fully support it. But um, he sort of put his own knickers in a knot. And then we had people like Ron DeSantis and Christy Noem and others coming out talking about how well their states are doing uh, because, you know, their schools did not close. And, in fact, Ron DeSantis, I think, personally, is the catalyst for these Republican governors beginning to say, oh, oh, well, we better, uh, you know, it's kind of peer pressure, and I love it. Uh, I'll let you hear what Ron DeSantis reminds you, what he said at CPAC. uh, (laughs) Started to call it a different name. At CPAC over the weekend, this is Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida. Let's listen. We are an oasis of freedom in a nation that's suffering in many parts of the country under the yoke of oppressive lockdowns. We look around in other parts of our country, and in far too many places, we see schools closed, businesses shuttered, and lives destroyed. And while so many governors over the last year had kept locking people down, Florida lifted people up. Florida is leading in protecting our vulnerable residents, saving the economy, and safeguarding the freedom of our people. In Florida, schools are open. Yeah, so that's not that, but you get the point. In fact, Ron DeSantis did a sit-down with Mark Levin over the weekend, uh, Life, Liberty, Mark Levin on Fox. And look, I could not say enough about that interview. I, I commend it to all of you. In fact, Adam, let's find it and put it on our Facebook page. Uh, you may not, uh, look, that may not be the most dependable source right now, so you might want to find it on your own, but honestly, it's worth your while because uh, Ron really spells a lot of things out. And I, I tell you, I think, um, you know, he came in first among potential future presidents, uh, besides President Trump, came in first at the straw poll at CPAC. And there's a reason for that. And I'm not asking you to listen to it because I think you should vote for him for president. I think you should listen to him because he brings tremendous common sense to the whole COVID thing. And I'm not sure why uh, Governor uh, Governor of Texas uh, decided to take the tack that he did. I think it was a huge mistake. And I think Texas has suffered for that. 
And so, but now he's, he's changing course and they're going to open up and I think that's, that's great news. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, we have Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who I think is the head of the D- CDC now, uh, cautioning us, now cautioning us, let's listen, because she feels differently about it. This is clip 12. Please hear me clearly. At this level of cases with variant spreading, we stand to completely lose the hard-earned ground we have gained. Now is not the time to relax. That's CDC Director uh, Dr. Rochelle Walensky warning Americans that now is not the time to ease restrictions. But many states are ignoring that warning and moving forward with reopening things like restaurants. This morning, new cases are plateauing at about 67,000. In other words, the steep decline that we'd seen in January could be over. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so CNN and uh, the CDC director, Dr. Walensky, don't, no, no, now's not the time. Don't do this. Don't do this. And yet we know, again, I will repeat, because this is an important stat. There's a million to repeat. Uh, but Florida has been more open than any state in the union. And California has been more closed than any other state in the union. And yet, for per capita, Florida has less cases and deaths than California. So you figure that one out. If you have another explanation for that, um, that's what we're seeing. That's what we saw in uh, some of the uh, European countries that didn't shut down the way we did. We didn't see any difference uh, in the uh, the cases, the COVID cases, and maybe the deaths. I'm not sure about which stat. Uh, but there was no difference in the reports on that. So there's just something very wrong about what we have been putting ourselves through and also our children through. Uh, Tucker Carlson did a great um, uh, monologue last night, and I'm going to borrow some of his thoughts because they were so good. And he reminds us, you know, what Sam said I endorse in that last interview, and I was going to make this point with you, the exact same one. Uh, you hear Andrew Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo constantly on the news about his sex uh, you know, uh, his sexual advances to women. All right, that's fine, and uh, that's interesting. But that's not the issue. That is not the issue with Governor Cuomo. The issue is that he caused the death of thousands of seniors, the deaths of seniors. And he actually, because he sent COVID-positive people into nursing homes on purpose. They've hid the numbers. That is the real crime. It's not his sexual proclivities and suggestions with his young staffers. As bad as that is, that's not the real point. It isn't at all. And it's really a bait and switch for them to start talking about this with obsessively talking about it. His responsibility for the deaths of seniors is the thing that is a serious potential crime. And uh, they don't want to talk about that so much now, so they've got something else, you know, warm and fuzzy. No, another bell and whistle. Uh, sexy. It's a little more sexy, literally. All right. So, but you might remember that Cuomo said back uh, in the April, he says, I don't, last April, he said, you know, I don't, I don't think we get back to normal. I think we got, we get a new normal. Well, the new normal is, you know, your kids being masked, not going to school. And uh, Tucker goes on, I want to, again, I want to give him credit because I'm taking this, these particular points from his article. Uh, The New York Times piece, from September said, stop expecting life to go back to normal next year. And then another one, uh, they ran a headline. In fact, this was just a few days ago. The first COVID vaccine will not make life normal again. How dare you think that? So um, so there's an analysis by Fair Health, and this analysis is talking about 
the effect on children. And I want to read it to you, at least in part. The COVID-19 pandemic has had a profound impact on mental health, particularly that of young people. School closures, having to learn remotely and isolating from friends due to social distancing, have been sources of stress and loneliness. Okay, well, stress and loneliness doesn't sound like the end of the world, right? If you're saving their lives, that's what people would think, right? But let me go on. How bad is it? Among children aged 13 to 18, insurance claims for intentional self-harm were up 90% in March of 2020 compared to the previous year. The next month, wait a minute, can I read that again? Did you catch that? Insurance claims for intentional self-harm between children with children aged 13 to 18 is up what? Not not 3%, not not 10, not even 20, 90%. Compared to the year before. The next month, self harm cases rose by nearly 100%. Claims for medical help related to drug overdoses went up 95% in March and 113% in April. The cases of suicide, your kids are 10 more times likely to die of suicide than of COVID, according to these studies. So, um, coronavirus, though, you, your kids have to all be masked, right? On planes, you're being thrown off planes if your little children, your little bitty children, even two years old, are not masked thoroughly. Um, and so, and then, of course, we've got kids not being able to go back to school. They're just plain old not learning. This is a group of, a montage of parents in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, I'm not going to play that. I changed my mind. I'm not going to play it. They're basically saying... We've got to send our kids back. We've got to send them back. They have to go back to school. In most of the states in the union, except for Florida and now Texas uh, and uh, South Dakota, the kids are not going to school. I think that's hard to imagine for some of you listening. But this is over a year with the kids out of school. It's just horrific. Well, of course, the school, the teachers' unions don't want them to go back to school. It would be so dangerous for teachers. They are an endangered species, after all. Uh, they can't possibly go back to school. And so Cecily Mayart Cruz, who's the head of the uh, Los Angeles Teachers Union, kind of put it this way. Let's listen. Clip 11. Some voices are being allowed to speak louder than others. We have to call out the privilege behind the largely white, wealthy parents driving the push for a rushed return. Their experience of this pandemic is not our students' families' experiences. Okay, wait a second. Do Are, are there any Black listeners listening today? Well, there always are, so I'm guessing. So it's just white, wealthy parents that want the kids to come back. You don't really care, right? It's all working out great for you and your children at home all the time, Right. It's just those white, wealthy people that want kids to go back to school. I, it's, I, would, I would argue that it's the white, wealthy parents who send their kids to private schools, and it's the poor or middle-class black children and middle-class, well, white children and brown children, like most of us, uh, who go to public schools. Yeah, but we're not hurt as much as those white, wealthy parents, just to, you know, to coin a phrase there. Also, you know, yesterday this story broke, and I just didn't have a chance to tell you about it, but 
Uh, we'll tell you how the, the school uh, union leaders really feel because um, the head of the, uh, let's see, what is his position? He's the California Teachers Union president. And his name is, uh, let's see, his name is somewhere here. Its name is Matt Meyer. He's the head of the Berkeley Teachers Union. He's a white, guess, wealthy guy, probably by virtue of his job, with blonde dreadlocks. He's uh, probably, probably pretty, pretty liberal. Pretty, I can't talk. Pretty liberal by his own description. But parents who were kind of upset in Berkeley because they wanted their kids to go back to school caught video of him taking his own child to a private school. Well, he's not happy that they caught that video, but that's the way it is. The white, wealthy guy, the head of the teachers' union, who's doing that. All right, I have a few other no, uh, words on this. We have to get kids back to school. We have to stop the nonsense. Uh, we have to have some freedom, uh, and we have to exert our right to be free uh, because this can't go on. A free people cannot go on in bondage to uh, arbitrary rules, which is exactly what they are. I want to mention a couple of really important things. This is very important, and it's really, I have just a few seconds here. There are three dozen cases of spontaneous miscarriages and stillbirths that are, have occurred after COVID-19 vaccination. I have the various stories, but I can't, I don't have time to tell you these. Uh, and so there was a caution. I told you a week, two weeks ago, maybe, about uh, that this is not the first time we've heard that it may endanger. This doesn't mean it was the cause. It's just what happened there. Why so quickly? Why is this happening? And it's a caution. I have to say, to counter my own words here, I heard Dr. Scott Atlas talk about the importance of taking uh, the vaccine and how uh, he felt it was safe. Uh, and I really trust him. So I can't declare myself. I, how could I? I'm not a medical person. But I am cautious, and I, this is a cause for concern to me. I, if I were pregnant or of childbearing age, I would give this some real deep thought before I had the vaccine, vaccination, and I'd certainly read more about it at any age uh, because of the things we're hearing. It's untested, and we're just not sure. But it is your choice. It is your choice. Sandy Rios in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.